listening to sermon audio from Grace Mosaic, a congregation of the Grace DC Network in Northeast DC. For more information about our church, visit us online at gracemosaic.org. We live in an age of supermarket tabloids, truth-bending marketing, public relations spin, deep fakes, and of course, fake news. We have been immersed in a culture of deception, and we have heard so many lies from so many angles that we often find it difficult to navigate the world without growing cynical and suspicious, don't we? We know this to be the case deep down in our bones because we spend so much energy trying to ensure that nobody is able to deceive us, that no one's able to get one over on us. But we also find ourselves in the position of being deceivers. This can range from the little white lies that we tell and the deceptive excuses that we make all the way to large scale lies that we tell others to hide our shame, to protect our reputations and to avoid certain consequences of our failures. Our immersion in this dishonest, deceptive age has shaped all of us to some degree. And this is what makes our passage for today all the more urgent. In this text, Jesus teaches his disciples that the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth, who will guide his disciples into all truth. But even this statement from Jesus sounds deceptive, doesn't it? We know plenty of Christians who are deluded and deceived, don't we? We can point to many self-identifying Christians who seem to have no grip on the truth about the Christian responsibility to act justly, the primacy of mercy in the church, the Christian call to relinquish power, and the urgency of cross-cultural love in the church. But this promise of Jesus, it pertains to a set of primary truths that the Holy Spirit brings home to God's people. Jesus is talking about a set of primary truths, not every single solitary truth out there. I have not been led into the truth of calculus. I don't think I ever will. Jesus is talking about a very particular set of primary truths. And these primary truths equip us to bear witness as a community of truth in an age of lies. So what I want you to see is that the spirit is always equipping us to bear witness to Jesus, to the hope of the gospel, relative to the, the, the greatest aspects of brokenness in our particular age, in our particular context. So we're going to look at our passage through two points, where we see that the Spirit leads us to truth concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. That's the first point. The Spirit leads us to truth concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. And the second point, the Spirit leads us to truth concerning the person and work of Jesus Christ. So let's look at our first point. I'm only going to be with you briefly here. The Spirit leads us to truth concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. Now, in this passage, Jesus is preparing his disciples because he's about to go away. He's about to go to the cross. He's about to be crucified. And then he's going to return to the Father upon his resurrection. 
And of critical importance to Jesus here is teaching his disciples about the ministry of the Holy Spirit, his spirit who will come to them when Jesus leaves the world to return to the Father. And in verse 8, if you look at verse 8, Jesus tells his disciples that when the spirit comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. These are primary truths for God's people to understand. And I want you to think about it like this. It's not uncommon for a business to declare bankruptcy when they get into some kind of trouble, right? However, many people don't realize that there are different kinds of bankruptcy. Did you know that? There are different kinds of bankruptcy. A business might file chapter 11 bankruptcy when their corporation is fairly healthy, And given enough time, they can work their way out of the financial troubles. That's chapter 11. But when a business files chapter 7 bankruptcy, they are coming to grips with the fact that they are so deep in trouble. Things are so utterly beyond repair. They are so deep in debt that there is no way for them to continue as a viable business. The owner loses everything and the company is dead. So in layman's terms... Chapter 11 is a temporary glitch that the company can fix on their own, but chapter 7 is permanent ruin. Now, when Jesus says that the Spirit will convict the world concerning sin, he is suggesting that a major part of the Spirit's work is to bring us to see that our moral bankruptcy is a chapter 7, not a chapter 11. This is one of the marks of the Spirit's work in a person's life. When we know that because of our moral state, because of the state of our hearts, because of the motives that we often have underneath the surface, that we must file chapter 7 rather than chapter 11 moral bankruptcy. We no longer believe that we can work our way out of our deepest troubles with enough time and resources. Nor do we find ourselves more sure of getting God's blessing when we think we're doing good and unsure when we know we've messed up recently. That's important. Do you ever find yourself feeling like you can't ask God for some blessing because you know that you have not been good this past week? Have you ever found yourself hesitant or more confident to asking God's blessing because, you know, I had a good week this week. I gave some money to someone who was in need and, you know, I said my prayers and and read a chapter a day to keep the devil away this week. I did good this week, so I feel confident before God. You see, there's a difference. The Spirit moves us from this chapter 11 mindset to a chapter 7 mindset. We are completely ruined on our own. He comes to convict the world concerning sin. And this actually leads us to the next part of this this verse where Jesus says that the spirit convicts the world of righteousness, which might sound weird at first. Right. But here's the deal. This is to say that the spirit convicts us of our self-righteousness in its many forms. And he reminds us with the prophet Isaiah that our righteousness is like filthy rags. The renunciation of self-righteousness is perhaps one of the most profound ways that we can bear witness to Christ in our cultural moment. Have you ever considered that, that, that one of the most profound ways that we can show off Jesus 
in our self-righteous age is to be a people that renounces self-righteousness. Think about it. Some people, I'm just, I'm just speaking, you know, th- this is obvious to you, but I want to name it. Some people feel very confident in their stand for truth in an age where people are woke out there. And some people, they stand on their righteousness as activists and they're doing things in the world for people rather than being like those people who sit back there and just wag their finger. But what you need to see is that the most, the most pertinent polarizing factor is that it's self-righteousness on both sides. But God's people who renounce self-righteousness are absolutely committed to holding to the truth but in a way that shows that faith without works is dead and it's all about faith working through love for the benefit of our neighbors. This is a different way of thinking. It grabs the most important elements of both while trying to avoid the pitfalls of of both sides and that is the way that we begin to see reunion happening in this tribal moment where people want to draw up the lines and throw grenades over the fence at people that they disagree with or people that don't operate like they do. The last part that I want you to see is that the spirit convicts the church that there will be a sobering day of judgment. The spirit convicts the world of sin, convicts the world of righteousness, i.e. self-righteousness, and convicts the world concerning judgment, that there will be a sobering day of reckoning. There will be an accounting of what we did with our life, what we did with our gifts, what we did with our resources, what we did with our time, and how we dealt with Jesus himself as he showed up to us in the form of our neighbors. That Matthew 25, that all The while you were actually dealing with Jesus, you were arguing with Jesus, you were fighting with Jesus, you were serving Jesus, you were caring for Jesus. And I'm going to tell you that this this has been one of the single most transformative thoughts for me in the last few years. Seeing Jesus in everybody I encounter, imagining that I'm dealing with Jesus in these very moments, whether I'm dealing with my kids, my neighbors, my friends who are struggling to make ends meet, who are in need on the street, or my enemies. Seeing Jesus in the face of the other is the way that we prepare our hearts to withstand that day. Because what you come to realize is that it's really hard to deal with people, to love people. To be kind, it's very difficult to sustain that life. Not, it's impossible to sustain that life apart from the transforming grace of God, apart from the gospel getting a hold of your heart. The Spirit's conviction of judgment has awakened me because I want to be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. And this brings us to our final point, where we see that the Spirit leads us into the truth concerning the person and work of Jesus Christ. So, so okay, here's the deal. What comes after the Spirit's conviction where he shows you your sin, where he shows you that you're not enough, 
that, that, that you cannot perform your way into the into good standing with God and, and that and that your self-righteousness is 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 actually killing you. It's not actually propping you up. It's destroying you. It's eating you away from the inside, your self-righteousness and that judgment is coming. What then? What do you do? What where does he take you then? He takes you to Jesus because that's like the prep for the operation, so to speak, until you can acknowledge that you're a needy sinner and that your righteousness cannot stand and that you cannot survive judgment on your own standing. You cannot survive that, that scrutiny until you come to grips with that. You'll never be ready to receive the remedy. But when the spirit brings this to your mind, when you come to see what's really true about yourself and about the world, then you're ready to actually treasure and trust and receive Jesus Christ. Look, all of this talk of conviction of sin and self-righteousness and judgment may seem like a real buzzkill. If you come to church to get a little inspiration for the week, right? It seems like a buzzkill because many people, they're relying on church to give them some inspiration for the coming week. But I'm here to tell you, I want to give you much more than inspiration. You need more than inspiration to get through this week. You need something stable that will carry you for a lifetime and into eternity. And that is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You need more than a little inspiration. Remember, Christians file chapter 7, not chapter 11. This conviction is crucial for entering into the truth about the person and work of Jesus Christ, a crown jewel of the Christian faith. In chapter 15, verse 26, Jesus says this, if you take a look. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. Now, let's put it all together, y'all. Let's put it all together. It's like a doctor telling you difficult news about your deadly health issue so that he can lead you to the life-saving treatment. He has not become your enemy for telling you the truth about your bad health situation. He has not become your enemy. He's actually become a great friend to you because it's by identifying the truth about what's going on in your body that he's able to bring you to the treatment and the remedy that will save you. Love is willing to endure discomfort and wade into tension and endure awkwardness for the good of the beloved. I mean, could you imagine your doctor telling you that everything is fine only to learn later that you have a condition that is putting you on death's door? I mean, could you imagine further that when you confronted that doctor, he said, I know, but I didn't want it to be awkward. I, I, I didn't want you to think I was forcing my views on you. <laughs> There'll be some furniture moving in that doctor's office. I'm sure of that. I know that if that happened to me, me and that doctor would be having a tete-de-tete, as they say, right? No, that's unthinkable. Because that is a truth that is just there and you have to deal with it. And Christians believe that it is a stubborn truth that Jesus is Lord, that he died on the cross for our sins, that he rose from the dead, that he ascended to the father, that he sits at the right hand of the father, working out his high priestly ministry, and that he promised that he will come back to judge the living and the dead. And knowing that and knowing the state 
of our own hearts and knowing the state of our neighbors who are separated from Jesus, it's our responsibility to bear witness through the power of the Spirit to our neighbors about the ability of Jesus to save, to rescue, to heal, to renew, to impart new life. Listen, we don't need to despair of sin because Christ has died for it to forgive everyone who trusts in him. And we don't need to prop up our identity with various forms of self-righteousness because we are righteous in the eyes of God through union with Christ by faith. And we don't need to live in terror of judgment when, when Christ was judged in our place at the cross and was vindicated in making full atonement for our sins through his resurrection. We can rest in and enjoy the truth of all that God is for us in Jesus Christ. And when the Spirit leads us into these primary truths, then we are free to be truthful about everything else, including the truth of who we really are. We don't need to fake. We don't need to try and shine up our reputation to other people. As Pastor Irwin said earlier in the service, we can actually bring our real selves to, who, to, to, to the Lord and to one another. We don't have to pretend anymore. I don't need to fool you into thinking that I'm better than I am because that's not what holds me. My reputation in the world is not what sustains me. Jesus is my life. Christ is our life. So we no longer have to pretend. And it also gives us the freedom to be true about what's going on in our culture. Right? We don't, we don't have to, to pretend that there isn't severe brokenness in our culture. We don't have to we don't have to abandon any of the other truths about what's what. And we're also free to we're we're also free as it relates to the truth about the historical context of this American mission field and the truth about where hope and meaning and true life can be found. So let me make three applications. So what do you do with this? How do you take this away? What do you take away from this? The first thing is this. I want to encourage you to attend to the places in your life where the spirit is pointing out your need for repentance. You know, we often silence that voice. We often silence that voice of conviction when we know we're doing something that isn't right or we're given into a way of being that is unhealthy and ungodly. I want you to attend to the voice of the spirit as he identifies things that for which you need to repent. That's one. Two, I want you to ask the spirit to help you connect the dots on what these primary truths mean for the way that you live in the world. As it relates to sin and the brokenness of our lives and what that might mean for cultural realities, what it might mean for the way we live in community, ask the spirit to connect the dots. What, what, is it, what does life look like if you are free to own your sin? You, not in a vague, ethereal way. What does it mean for you? How would your life change if you were freer to just be a beloved sinner? <laughs> to give up on your self-righteousness? What would it mean for your life if you no longer had to perform and pretend that you were better than you are? What if you were free from spending that mental energy trying to figure out how you can get people impressed with you? What would that look like? Connect the dots. Pray that the Lord would help you to connect the dots. And three... Here's the final one. Start praying for someone specifically and ask the spirit to empower your witness 
to Christ. Start praying for someone specifically. If you got everything that you prayed for, what would you actually have? I say this all the time to y'all because I'm convicted by it every time I say it. If I got what I prayed for, would, would there be people coming to faith? If I got everything that I prayed for, would my friends be growing in the grace of the Lord? Would my neighbors be coming into closer proximity to the love of Christ? If you got everything that you prayed for, would your pastor become something more healthy? I need you to pray for me. You know, I love that, that old song. It's a testimony song. And the song goes, somebody prayed for me, had me on their mind, made the time to pray for me. (laughs) I'm so glad they prayed. I'm so glad they prayed. I'm so glad they prayed for me. And I'm telling you that I would not be standing here if somebody didn't pray for me. In fact, both of your pastors would not be here if someone didn't pray for him. You know, Joel's mama prayed for him when he was acting a fool on a college campus. His mama would wake him up and just she would start praying for him. And if she didn't, he wouldn't be here. We are where we are because someone prayed for us. Will you be that person who does the praying that brings someone into into the, the kingdom of God? Start making it a target of your prayers and your energy and your efforts that you will be a spirit-empowered witness to all that God is for us in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Thanks for listening to this podcast from Grace Mosaic. For more information about our church, visit us online at gracemosaic.org.